So listen, even if it's true that he just noticed what he did next, he didn't have to do. His servant has done every single thing he can and told David, by the way, you can't touch her. She's the wife of somebody else. And David doesn't listen. He sleeps with her, kills her husband, destroys the kingdom and all that. When we stop doing what God asks us to do, we fill that void with something else. Good to be with you again. Now, if you have been listening at all over the last few weeks, we've been looking at David and how he has been bringing the presence of God back to his nation. Now, I have a huge problem with this story. Not that particular part of the story. I think it's fantastic all the different things that David goes through to get the presence of God back into his household, into his into his life, into his reign, in his kingship, and back into his nation. That's all good. The problem that I have with it is that that all happens in Second Samuel and chapter six. So two Samuel six and 1 Chronicles 15. But just five chapters after that account in 2 Samuel, so in 2 Samuel 11, so five chapters after 2 Samuel 6, when David has gone through all this incredible trouble and all the lessons that he's learnt, about obedience, about sacrifice, about humility, and about, about doing the things that God wants him to do to bring the presence back into his nation. After he's learned all those lessons, just five chapters later, it, it all hits the fan. Like, David, where is your head? You've just gone through all this trouble. God has given you all these blessings. You, you're, you're a handsome young man. You're, you're a songwriter. You're, you're a poet. You're, you've got everybody singing your praises. Now the presence of God is back in your nation. You've united the kingdom and all that type of stuff. You've got the box back. Five chapters later, like I said, it all goes pear-shaped. Just five chapters. Now, let me, I'm not lying. Now, let me read this to you. We're out, we're out here in Birkenhead Lake, um, camping, the church camp. It's a great place. This is what it says. 2 Samuel, chapter 11. I'm, I'm not lying. It's right at chapter 11. That's five chapters later. In the spring, when kings normally go to war, David sent Moab the leader of the army to fight his battles for him. King David. That's his title. It's his job description. King David. King David. This chapter 11 starts with this. In springtime, when kings normally go to war, 
David doesn't. He sends somebody else to do his job for him. And then he's going to wait around until the battle is won and then he's going to turn up and get all the glory. Five chapters. I'm going to keep saying this. It only took five chapters for him to go to from dancing and leaping and skipping and laughing with joy in the presence of God to him doing what he's about to do. So listen, this is what happens. If you've been around church very long, you will have heard this story, I, I hope, because it's a really honest look at the human condition. It's what it says. So he sends his mate off to, to war instead of him going himself. Late one afternoon, after he got up from his rest. Rest from what? He's not doing anything. Like, he's, he's not doing what a king should do. He's having a rest instead of fighting his battles. So after his rest, that he didn't need in the first place, he got out of his bed. In the middle of the afternoon, gets out of his bed. And he walks onto the roof of the palace. And as he looked over, he saw a woman he noticed. <laughs> a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He noticed. He, he couldn't help it. He just noticed. Yeah, right. He just noticed. Even if it's true that he just noticed what he did next, he didn't have to do. So he sends his servant to find out, hey, who's the good-looking girl over there taking a bath? The servant comes back and says this. That's Bathsheba. The daughter of... I'm going to read this to you because it's important. He sent someone to find out his servant. I tell him, I'm not lying. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife, you hear that word, wife of Uriah. His servant at that point has done every single thing that he possibly can. Now, I've preached about this before, about three years ago at our church. Um, so, listen, I want to tie this together from where we've been the last few weeks with David. Seeking the presence of God. Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, wife of, the wife of Uriah. David says, go and get her anyway. His servant has done every single thing he can. He's told her a name. He's told her who her dad is. Told David who his, her dad is. And told David, by the way, you can't touch her. She's the wife of somebody else. And David doesn't listen. Servant has to obey him, has to go and get her. He sleeps with her, kills her husband. There's an incredible story, destroys the kingdom and all that. Five chapters after David has been leaping and skipping and dancing and laughing in the presence of God. Why am I keep going on about this? It's like this. You see, when David was chasing the ark, when David was, was looking for and trying to get the presence of God back in his nation, 
He was intentionally pursuing God. That's what he was doing. Intentionally pursuing. And here, five chapters later, he has stopped intentionally pursuing. And everything goes wrong. From this moment, he kills a guy to get a hus her, his wife. He kills a man to get the man's wife. A baby dies, an innocent child dies. The kingdom that he has united previously that we talked about is now fractured for the rest for the rest of his reign and 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 from that point on in the bible the whole thing's fractured never really recovers from this what david does here now listen all of that happens because david stops intentionally pursuing god While he's pursuing God, he's got a goal. He's, after, he's chasing after God. He wants to find out why, why he can't get the presence of God in his life. He, he, he consults with people. He asks people. He questions things. But when all that stops, he tells you right here, he's just laying around in his bed, kicking his heels, just, just chilling, doing nothing. And it leads to this. He should have been out fighting his battles and he wasn't there's nothing intentional about the way he's living his life now, now listen the reason i'm telling you this and it's probably starting to click into place in here as you're listening we live in cultures in the 21st century where it's all about me pleasing myself me taking leisure time. I hate to do things like this to go camping. There's nothing wrong with taking leisure time. That's not what I'm saying. You see, because I'm talking about this man called David, who is a skilled musician. That takes time. He's a poet. That takes time. He's a songwriter. That takes time. He's a skilled warrior. That takes time. He's skillful with a slingshot. That takes time. So he's dedicated all these different amounts of time to these different pursuits in his life. He's not just a one-trick pony, right? He's got all these different avenues in life that he pursues. And he's good at them all. Because he makes his pursuit of God the center pin around which all of these other things revolves. When he's a skilled musician, he's a skilled musician because he's, he's praising God with his music. He's a, he's a skilled hunter because, because when, a skilled warrior, because when, when Goliath comes out and challenges the armies, uh, David says, hey, you, it's not that you challenge me, it's you've challenged God. So again, God becomes the center point around which all of David's warrior and ship I was going to say warrior-ness, but I'm not even sure that's a word. Um, God is the, the center pin around everything that David does in his, in his pursuits as a warrior. Now, if you remove that center pin, all you have is these other pursuits. Um, we even have a game now in our culture, trivial pursuits. Why? The, the title should tell you. It's absolutely 
trivial. There is nothing about this book. There is nothing about the pursuit of God that is trivial. And it keeps us on track as human beings. And as David is pursuing God, he's fine and he's, and he's, and he's doing what he put on this earth to do. He's fulfilling what people say is, is the chief end and the chief purpose of mankind is to bring glory to God. Now, I didn't come up with that. Some, some very clever theologians came up with that centuries ago. The chief purpose of man is to bring glory to God. The chief purpose of mankind is to be in the pursuit of God's presence. And he, he gives up on it. And he ends up doing all this. Now, it's not like he is without warning, even in his own culture. His own culture tells him about this. Way back, you've probably heard the story of Noah and the ark. Like I say, I've preached about it. It's in our church about three years ago. But probably everybody's forgotten. And that's fine, because we do. You've heard about Noah and the ark. Have you ever heard the story of Noah the drunk? Because after the ark, chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, God tells Noah to build an ark. Just a couple of chapters later, just a couple of chapters later, three actually to be precise, in Genesis chapter 9, it says this. In verse 20 of chapter 9, after Noah came out of the ark with his sons, he planted a vineyard, and one day he got drunk, so drunk, in fact, that he lay naked inside his tent. Now, that's not why I'm sitting in front of a tent. I'm not going to get rat-faced and lie naked in there, all right? It just so happens I'm sitting outside a tent. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? Noah's plan and intentional purpose up to that point was to do what God told him to do and to build an ark. To save humanity by building this giant boat. Well then, after he's finished pursuing and fulfilling the plan and purpose of God, he sits back, kicks off his steel toe cap work boots, hangs up his... Uh, hangs up all his stuff that he's been using to, to build the ark with, hangs up all his power tools, puts away the DeVault stuff, puts away his rigid toolkit, kicks back and gets totally hammered. Now, I'm not saying that if you stop pursuing God, you're going to get hammered, have an affair with somebody, kill somebody's husband and destroy your nation. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this, that at some point when we stop doing what God asks us to do, we fill that void with something else. And generally what we fill that void with is way more destructive to our lives than the pursuit of God. Noah gets rat-faced drunk, doesn't just affect him, he ends up cursing a third of his family because of what he's done. That's what happens when he stops pursuing the purpose of God in his life. Now, 
He's not the first person to do this. Way back, way back in the beginning of the book, in Genesis, God makes and tells the story in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, the story of the first family that's mentioned in the Bible, Adam and Eve, who stop pursuing the presence of God and stop hanging around with God and instead do the very thing that God asks them not to do. Now, <laughs> it ends up pretty much being the root cause of, of everything that's destructive and destroys the human race. Now, like I said before, I'm not saying that if you don't pursue God, you'll end up destroying the human race. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. When we stop pursuing God, we will fill that void with something else. And generally, it's nowhere near as wholesome and as wonderful and as blessed and incredibly dynamic as serving the plan and purpose of God in our lives. Now, I want to ask you, because I have to ask myself this question as I'm reading the story of David, David as I look back on the story of Noah, as I look back to Adam and Eve, and look back to all the other people in, in the Bible who stopped intentionally pursuing God and messed things up. I have to ask myself, am I pursuing God in the same way as I used to? Am I? Is that what I'm doing? Or do I fill my time with things that honestly, in the, in the light of eternity, don't matter one hill of beans? Do I really fill my life with things that actually could be just t called trivial pursuits? Or am I pursuing the plan and purpose and presence of God in my life intentionally? Oh, that's what I want to do. I, I want to be doing that when, when I'm when I'm older. When I when I'm when I'm old, old man. When I can when I can barely get around on this planet, I still want to be intentionally pursuing the plan and purpose of God in my life, because I believe He has a plan and purpose for us all. Are you pursuing that for yourself? God's plan in your life, the best life that you can possibly live. Hey, bless you. Thanks for listening. And hey, next year, September, end of September, come join us. Birkenhead Lake. Our church camp out. Bless you. Stay safe.
I confess Bowing here I find my rest And without you I fall apart And you're the one That guides my heart And Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Every hour I need you My one defense My righteousness Oh God, how I need you Where sin runs deep Your grace is more For grace is found Is where you are And where you are Lord, I am free Holiness Is Christ in me And where you are Lord, I am free